0: Welcome back into the Original Gangsters Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Bernstein, along with my partner in crime, the doctor himself, Jimmy Bugelato. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Hey, now. Uh, So uh, we're going to do a deep dive into uh, current events in the biker world. We're going to talk a little pagans. We're going to talk a little outlaws. And we're going to talk a little highwaymen. And uh, we've gotten some requests over the last uh, couple months to go back and, uh, address what's going on in, uh, the American biker landscape, the outlaw bikers, um, and, uh, I'm eager to do so. Uh, there's been some breaking news, uh, in, in multiple areas of the country over the last uh, couple weeks, um, and we're going to start with the Pagans. Um, for people that don't know, the Pagans Motorcycle Group is the, um, most prestigious, prominent uh, outlaw biker club in the southeastern part of the United States. Uh, their their stronghold has always been in uh, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware, New York, um, parts of Florida. Uh, but in the last couple years, uh, one of the more notorious Biker bosses in America, um, a guy by the name of Keith Conan, the barbarian Richter, uh, ascended to the throne um, in the pagans organization in about late two thousand and seventeen, so about five years ago, and declared a expansion mandate that has been dubbed the Blue Wave. Um, again, incredibly ambitious. Uh, Richter has a vision for pagan supremacy that goes well beyond the Southeastern portion of our country. Um, I believe there's been 15, at least 15 new chapters open up in the last five years. Um, the expansion has been, uh, out West, um, through parts of the East Coast where the Pagans did not have um, as strong of a presence as they uh, as they desired, uh, areas that had been controlled by the Hells Angels or areas that are controlled by the Hells Angels, um, and then it, the, the the move west is incredibly um, significant because, as people that study this stuff know, um, the whole West coast uh, of America is controlled by the hell's angels. Kind of the original outlaw biker group, at least in terms of pop culture. Uh, I know a lot uh, the people in the outlaws would take umbrage with you that they, they would tell you that the, they were the first uh, outlaw motorcycle gang that was created in the 1930s um, motorcycle club motorcycle club. <laughs> there's some debate um, about whether or not that uh, organization, the outlaws, uh, whether or not the the group that started in Chicago in the 1930s, uh, if that's a uh, if there's a direct correlation to the group that is today, there are some people that I'm going down a rabbit hole. Uh, there are some people that that believe that it didn't actually start until after World War II or 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 into the 50s, but the Outlaws uh, trace their roots, I believe, in 1932, um, right outside of Chicago. But um, The west coast is 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 all hell's angels and there there is not a the outlaws do not have a presence uh, out west. The highwaymen do not have a presence out west um, but the pagans are attempting and uh, they've moved into Oklahoma, Texas, Nevada, Washington state, Oregon haven't yet made it to California but uh, it, it's a brand new horizon for for the pagans uh, they've never been outside of that little kind of swath of territory in the American Southeast. And now they're, um, it's, you know, it's kind of like, uh, a military campaign in some ways. Uh, and, and, uh, not shockingly, um, there's been, you know, violence left, uh, left in the, the, uh, the expansion's wake or the wake of the quote unquote blue wave. Um, most recently there was a murder, that took place uh, at the end of last year in Oklahoma, um, which is another um, you know, fresh uh, fresh territory for, for the pagans. They've only been in Oklahoma for, I would say, less than two years, two, three years. And um, they, well, members allegedly, members of the outlaws in Oklahoma, uh, murdered a pagan. Uh, on the uh, on, on the highway, a guy by the name of Danny Aaron, I believe he was 33, was a uh, military vet, U.S. Marine, who'd either just recently patched into the pagans or was about to patch into the pagans, and um, the outlaws obviously didn't take kindly to the pagans planting the flag there, and uh, that was the first dead body to fall, but there have been assaults and shootouts that have taken place over the last 18 months that kind of were a precursor uh, uh, to, this, uh, to this murder. Uh, the shootout uh, occurred um, in Texas last, uh, last year um, with the brand-new Texas Pagans, and then the Pagans uh, group out by uh, Walla Walla, uh, Washington State, took an assault charge for, for activity that they actually were doing down. Uh, they had left uh, the Pacific Northwest and, 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 and chased a, uh, either a rival or, or someone that they had an issue with, uh, chased him down to Georgia and um, assaulted him there.
1: That's a hell of a ride.
0: Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. Jimmy, want to chime in with, with your take on what's going on with the Pagans and Conan the Barbarian? I just want to, uh, before I turn it over to Jimmy, say that Conan the Barbarian um, is now in prison um because of the blue uh, because of the blue wave mandate he became uh public enemy number 1 for the uh, federal law enforcement on the east coast and uh they busted him on a gun charge last winter uh where there was a tip coming from within the club uh nailed him leaving a party in Pennsylvania coming back to uh, his home base in long island new york uh he got pulled over in new jersey and he had to go uh, report to prison in, in July. He's going to be serving three years. But the blue wave mandate that he initiated is still alive and well.
1: So just for some context here, the Hells Angels, traditionally, the West Coast is their stronghold. But they also have a strong presence in Canada. And
0: Well, part of Conan the Barbarian's game plan, I suspect, was actually inspired by Sonny Barger. Yeah. And the Hells Angels, who yeah. decided in the late '70s, early '80s, that they wanted to do an East Coast right. expansion, yeah. which which was which has been successful. Yeah, so uh, the New brand, York,
1: Massachusetts, yeah, right? the, the Hells Angels
0: brand is definitely in the East Coast. There's parts of the Midwest that it exists here in Detroit because uh, it's it's considered kind of ground zero for the outlaws. Um, the Hells Angels have never come in to Michigan. Well, there was some. Question uh, uh, of a chapter that might have been opening in Mount Pleasant um, over the last couple of years, there's rumors. But um, it, it, the Hells Angels uh, were successful in, in expanding their brand uh, outside of New York. Or, or Sorry, outside of California, outside of the West Coast pushing east uh, into New York. And there's a huge Hells Angels presence in New York City.
1: But what's interesting is, as they were moving east, sometimes you, you spread the empire too thin, there were rival outlaw motorcycle clubs opening in California. Right. <laughs> and, they're, and they're like stronghold. Right. And, and um, there was a lot of conflict there, right, between uh, the Mongols in Nevada and, the, and in San Diego. There was like a full war uh, between the Hells Angels and I think, I think the Mongols. Right, well,
0: and that's a good segue to some more color, I want to sprinkle on this, and then I'm going to throw it back to Jimmy because I've been hogging too much of the mic space here. Um, part of this campaign that that Conan the Barbarian uh, implemented included making an alliance with the Mongols, which they've done uh, as a entry point into uh, biker activity in the uh, Southwest and West Coast. Uh, as, you know, uh, protection or muscle uh, against the Hells Angels, uh, you know, to kind of add to their arsenal. And then, to me, probably the the biggest linchpin to this campaign was Richter's decision to create, I mean, what I've termed a Latin quarter of the Pagans organization. And not just open up the membership ranks to Hispanics, but placing a number of those Hispanic biker figures uh, into leadership roles. Um, and that has been at the forefront of the push, uh, both uh, west, Southwest and 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 even east. Um, Conan chose as his vice president, uh, the national vice president, a guy by the name of Hugo uh, Nieves, who goes by the nickname Zorro. And uh, Zorro is the number two uh, in charge of the pagans. And he is college educated. He's very well-spoken and he's Hispanic. And those alliances with... Uh, people with uh, uh, that have hispan- Hispanic or Latino heritage, and the Mongols, have, you know, <laughs> ha- ha- have added fuel to the fire and-, and aided the push west, as well as the push east.
1: So, I, one of the reasons why my understanding that some of Latino members would join or were instrumental in forming groups like the Vagos and the Mongols and the Banditos is because historically, you correct me if I'm wrong, Bernie, the Hells Angels and the outlaws were pretty much white supremacist, like, if not form. Well, least, I, would say the, I would say the pagans <laughs> that were. Was, that was their worldview, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, but I would say that was the same with the pagans up until right. Conan's decision right. To, right.
1: to go the other direction. Right, so it was a whites-only yeah. thing. And so you had either sometimes cases of African-Americans forming their own outlaw clubs. And in this case, Latinos, because they weren't welcome into the the prominent, the three or four prominent outlaw yeah, clubs. The big leagues. Right. So this is really interesting that over time, you're starting to see, even I've even heard of some examples where uh, Latino guys are getting passed over in the Hells Angels, which is really interesting because... You know, you'll see, you I mean, you just Google online, you can see sometimes outlaw bikers like with swastikas and shit like that. So. Yeah, it's
0: a thin line between the outlaw biker world and the white supremacy world. Right, right. There, is, there Sometimes there isn't a line at all.
1: Right, and we've talked to some some guys who who are outlaw bikers who are in a leadership position who actually didn't go for that, and and they, they were more open-minded about, like... Well, they viewed it as a criminal organization, uh, a racketeering
0: enterprise, where... You know, we talk all the time about how the Chicago and Detroit mafias don't see color. They right. see money. They green. see green. Right. And if you're uh, someone of a, of a non-Italian heritage and you can still make them money, right, you're going to rise in the organization. And I think there are some biker leaders that, you know, their bottom line is the bottom stuff, line. In their, stuff in their pocket. Right. And if a guy that's uh, not necessarily, you know, full, full for full-blooded Aryan, <laughs> right. is someone that can make them money. Then they're under under the under that leadership structure. Yeah, that person is gonna you know have a have a fast track to a you know a, a cushy post
1: in in the organization. Yeah, so it's really interesting the kind of uh, racial politics of this, um, and also I, I and I think this might be what's happening with the pagans. Is what happened in California was some of the biker clubs that were challenging the Hell's Angels that had. That had a large Latino uh membership base, formed uh partnerships, alliances with Mexican street gangs, and in some cases would patch guys over because not only for these lucrative business opportunities, but for muscle to to that so that they could compete with the Hell's Angels. So it seems like the pagans are following a similar And let's be clear. I mean, I've never
0: met or spoken to to Keith Richter, aka Conan the Barbarian. He got his nickname because he looks like Conan the Barbarian from the Arnold Schwarzenegger film. Uh he's he's ripped, uh chiseled, long hair. Um just people thought he resembled the Conan the Barbarian character. Uh, and then he's kind of a uh, uh you know, has a con- has a, a a conquistador type um, mentality like uh you know, someone who wants to go conquer uh you know, uh, rape and pillage and conquer villages and accumulate turf and territory. Uh, it was where he came about, uh, the, the nickname. And, uh, I, I don't know. Oh, I shouldn't say, I don't know. I, I, I'm pretty confident in saying I would bet, even though I've never met or spoke to, to Keith Richter, this isn't a guy that's like, you know, Uh, you know, the, the United colors of Benetton or like, (laughs) I'm not, I'm guessing that Keith Richter isn't someone that is this like
1: rainbow coalition, rainbow coalition,
0: (laughs) bleeding heart liberal. (laughs) He's looking at it as a business move. It's, it's good for business. Um, so, you know, the, the selection of, of Hugo Nueves as his number two, the fact that I think there are three or four chapters now in New Jersey, uh, of the pagans being led by, uh, Hispanics. Um, I, I know that a, a good number of the, the new, uh, uh, members that ha- have, uh, populated these 15 new chapters out in the Southwest, uh, have been of Latino heritage, but I don't think that's because Conan thinks that, you know, somehow the, you know, some affirmative action plan for for the club. I mean, he's doing it not because he's got a soft spot for Latinos or right. thinks that Latinos are on the same uh, uh, level uh, in terms of social, uh, equality. social equality as right. white people. Right. He, I would guess that he, he still – I, again, I, I'm talking out of my ass a little bit because I've never – Interacted with Conan the Barbarian, so I don't know really what his politics, his racial politics, are. But I would guess that this is strictly a, a, a business move. This has nothing to do with his desire for, a, a, you know, a, a equality within the the pagans' ranks.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it 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 it's interesting the um, the social dynamics here. And and you had my understanding is that in some cases there were. Um, some wrinkles in, in on the West Coast because, in some cases, they were patching over guys who didn't even own motorcycles. Right, and then so you have this like, like tension between like the the OGs who are like, this is a biker group, this is a biker <laughs> biker right. club. Like so, sure, we 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 may be involved in some illegal activities, but we also take seriously the culture of, of riding, and you know the and and so, um, it's it's not just it's not just it's not just gambling and narcotics and things it's also the the biker part and and there were some guys in leadership who were like well yeah that's nice but no (laughs) we need money no they're like we need money makers we need money makers we need earners yeah right and so who cares if the guys never sat on a you know never guys never rode before Mm -hmm. so um now i don't know if that's going on on the east coast i'm just saying these were stories that came out you know what's what's also interesting
0: though is that as i mentioned at the start of the show coden's off the map now Coden's off the radar. He's he's a guest of the government until until 2025, I believe. But the blue mandate, ha, uh, the blue wave mandate, ha, has not slowed has not slowed down. So it, it shows you that he's he was such a force of personality that d- he
1: could rally the troops.
0: Yeah, and, and and the I think there's a an energy or a belief system or a this guy was was such a leader that he he sold everybody on this idea and the idea eventually became bigger than the club administration
1: yeah because in a lot of ways these organizations can be very decentralized i know you have a president i know you have a national president but this is something you know we've talked about with um some of the outlaw biker leaders that when when the, when the Federal government points out that there's some there's some massive conspiracy here, and that you know the outlaw some of the leaders we've talked are like, listen, I can't even get the guys to fucking show up at a four o'clock meeting on time. Mm-hmm. You think I can coordinate right. <laughs> a national conspiracy like? So, and there, that, that's well, that and point well and taken. Some of that's legit, <laughs> right? That point is well taken. So, but my point is, um, you, you can't just even the national president can't just uh, you know declare. That this is what, what's going to happen. There's a lot of internal politics. So to your point, that to be able to convince the rank and file, and the media, the the kind of uh, people in the, the um, not not leadership, but kind of in the middle, some of the other middle officer ma- middleman, right, officer positions, to convince them, like this is this is what we're going to do, that, that that that's pretty telling about the charisma and they're all know. in
0: on this. Yeah, um, and it's not just the 15 new chapters. Jimmy alluded to the 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 absorbing or the patching over of smaller clubs. Another uh, piece of the puzzle here that I, I want people to know. I haven't uh, said this yet in this podcast. Conan took power by force. Um, it was what would be cur- well, it, it is his ascension to the national president position of the pagans in late seventeen was the result of what is dubbed a bloodless coup. So it was by force, but there were no bodies that fell. Uh, They, Conan and and his loyalists told the sitting administration that they better move aside or there would be violence, and the sitting administration moved aside. Uh, The name of uh, the boss before... (laughs) um, Conan was a guy named uh, Michael Trone who went by the nickname Tyrone the Terrible or Terrible Tyrone. Uh, he was out of the, uh, either West Virginia or – no, he was out of uh, uh, northern Pennsylvania. Um, but he was close to the the guys in West Virginia and Maryland who had been running the club um, in the late 2010s. It, it was throughout the mid-2000s into the 2010s. Uh, was run, being run, uh, run by a guy named Black Bart. Black Bart handed over the reins to Terrible Tyrone. I guess there was um, there were issues under Trone, Michael Tyrone um, about his leadership ability and uh, lack of morale, lack of pride in the uh, in the club. Conan had come out of prison uh, at some point in the 2010s. He had uh, gone away, I think, for 18 years or so uh, on an extortion attempted murder case from uh, New York City in the late 90s where he had uh, been extorting a strip club owner. Um, The strip club owner decided to stop paying. Conan threatened to kill him. Conan goes to jail for 18 years. Comes out. Uh, he did an 18-year... Uh, I think he did 18. I think he, did, I think he was in from, like, 98 to just on, 14. Just on threat
1: 16. and extortion?
0: It was a, ra- a federal a ra- federal
1: extortion case.
0: Wow. Yeah. And, then you know, and a, with a predicate of attempted murder. Yeah. I think he came out in 12, so maybe he did 16 years. Wow. So... Uh, so he comes out in 12, and he senses the discontent in the ranks and leverages it. Uh, you know, over a couple of years, he starts... Uh, accumulating goodwill capital uh, amongst people uh, in the group, uh, within the organization. And by 17, he, he makes his move and, and they push uh, Trone out and he takes over and then convinces everybody in the club that we're thinking too small. We got to start thinking big and we got to stop thinking about controlling New Jersey, controlling Pennsylvania, controlling maryland and start up uh, start thinking about controlling the entire
1: united states this place is too far and small yeah you know that yeah, get john daverson donny uh, dangerous, dangerous. <laughs> so so there so there's interesting the internal politics here so there's there is a sense at least on the part of some and clearly they lost this argument um that listen expansion you're going to draw too much heat it's going to create violence yep. Let, let's just be let's be happy content right. with what we have and and there was actually low key there was actually
0: a, a a very distinct delineation when conan took over where you had a former national president named rooster katona Dennis Rooster Katona who uh came from um uh, rural Pennsylvania um and had controlled the club at some point I don't remember if it was before Black Bart and Trone or in between Black Bart and Trone. Anyway, but Rooster was someone that had a, a pretty significant uh, power base. And Rooster did not agree with Conan's expansion plan. So Rooster left and Rooster has started his own uh, club out of Pittsburgh because Rooster was out of the Pittsburgh uh, chapter. And they're called the Sutter Soldiers. I'm not sure what that's a reference to, but uh, Rooster is now the boss of the Sutter Soldiers after he broke off from the pagans because he did not see eye to eye with Richter. Then there was another group of Philly pagans that didn't agree with what Richter was doing, and they broke off uh, and started their own club called the Jackals, I believe.
1: So let's let's get into a little bit of the history of the pagans. So, because I think um, they had a colorful history even before this, like m- maybe not like on but, the national side. But state, very but, specific
0: to Pennsylvania. Yeah, really.
1: but it's still pretty interesting. And I, I think something you can speak to that some of our listeners will probably find interesting is there were some real colorful interactions between the pagans and the Scarf- Scarborough-Bruno crime, crime family. And uh, I... Um, if you want to shed some light. So just like with some of the other clubs we've talked about, there are these moments where there's intersectionality between bikers and Italian mafiosi. I would say it's it's par for the course. Yeah. I mean, most,
0: or uh, well, at least I'm I'm not talking about on the West Coast because there really isn't organized crime. It doesn't really yeah. exist anymore on the West Coast. right? But uh, it, may, know, it may be in Vegas a little bit. In but- the Midwest and in the East Coast, you know, for the last 30, 40 years, uh, all these groups um, have affiliations with the Italians, um, the Pagans, because Philadelphia is or Pennsylvania, and that's always been their stronghold. Uh, is the is the crystal meth capital of the world, um,
1: and has been before meth was cool,
0: right? <laughs> Uh the bikers and the Italians dating back to the 60s and 70s. I don't think
1: meth is cool, by the way. <laughs> People didn't catch that joke. But before, like meth was like, you know, now everyone yeah. knows what it is, but like No, they were doing it yeah. before
0: anybody knew what the hell meth was. Right, right
1: before Walter White yeah. was <laughs> cooking. It. No, this is
0: what they were doing in the 60s and 70s. Right, no one exactly. knew what meth was.
1: Right. Um, so the
0: Philly area underworld has Uh, you know, talking 40, 50 years now, have seen copacetic or um, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, Symbiotic relationships between the Italian mafia in Philadelphia, the Bruno Scarfo crime family, and the pagans. Um, And there's, as Jimmy alluded to, there's been a lot of ebbs and flows to that relationship. It's been a uh, somewhat of a roller coaster. There was a time period, uh, a, a short couple of years there, where they almost went to war. Um, I think that's what he's talking about—that that he wants to uh, for me to uh, uh, to let everyone know about this anecdote. So, Bruno's guys before Bruno got killed in eighty, a lot of Bruno's guys uh, were in were in business with with the with the pagans in the, in the meth business. Bruno gets killed. Testa and Scarf will come in and. Chucky Merlino, who was the underboss to Nicky Scarfo, who is the current Philadelphia boss, Joey Merlino's dad, uh, Chucky Merlino was assigned as a liaison after Long John Martirano went to prison. So Long John Martirano was Bruno's drug guy, Angela Bruno's drug guy, handled all the drug business for the Philadelphia Mob Administration. He goes to prison, I think in 82 or 83 and Chucky Merlino is installed in his place to do all the, uh, business negotiations with the pagans. I don't know exactly what triggered Chucky. He was upset with a business deal, um, with the, with the pagans. The the leader of the pagans at that point was a guy named Mangi, who was Italian by the way, um, and Mangie either disrespected Chucky or Chucky felt disrespected by Mangie. And uh, Chucky was a big drinker. Uh, one of the reasons that he got demoted uh, from this underboss spot from Nicky Scarfo was because he couldn't handle his alcohol anymore. He was uh, just drinking way too much and getting out of hand. And one of the incidents that led to his demotion was one night uh, he got really, really drunk and he got behind the wheel of his Mercedes and drove to the Pagan's clubhouse and took his Mercedes and drove it into all the bikes, all the Harleys that were lined up outside the club. Like a Domino's. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it almost set off a war. And there was a period of a couple months before it got uh, squashed where there were Pagan... Hitmen trolling the streets looking for Chucky to shoot, looking to kill Chucky.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty brazen act of disrespect. Um, and uh, I'm, yeah, I mean, I, I don't remember how Scarfo was able to mediate, like get able to get Merlino a pass on that because, you know, that, that's one of the most ultimate disrespectful, other than yeah. like pretending that you're a patched member yourself. That usually will, th- that could get you really. You know, no it's, trouble, it was but, the
0: equivalent of putting his hands on a baby, yeah, made, taking yeah, a, attacking yeah. their bike yeah their yeah. bike is that's an ex, right. their
1: bike is an extension of them of their person. identity that's their identity so it was like really really like reckless move on merlino's part um, and um, i think Leonetti,
0: Phil. I, I, now if i'm remembering my interviews with phil i wrote a uh, shameless plug go buy mafia prince yeah. Uh, crazy Phil Leonetti's autobiography that I wrote, oh, that's a good book, uh, which is all about Philadelphia, uh, organized crime, Atlantic city, organized crime in the eighties. Uh, I believe Phil was one of the people that negotiated that, that peace <laughs> agreement. Um, cause Phil was, uh, was a, was a, you know, politician type, um, way more than his uncle was.
1: But then was, also, if you can speak to that, because there was another moment where, like you mentioned, they had a pretty peaceful coexistence with Bruno, even lucrative, uh, partnership in in certain ways. And then Scarfo takes over. I don't remember if this was before maybe this was after the Merlino thing. But at some point, Scarfo tells the pagans he expects them to yeah, pay, pay a street tax.
0: Right. <laughs> well, he was doing that to everybody. <laughs>
1: and they didn't take kindly to... They didn't well, take then Natalia and
0: then Ralph it. Natalia did the same thing. Yeah. When he came out of prison in the mid-'90s and, and him and Joey Merlino took over the, yeah. the family. They yeah. were trying to tax him, too.
1: Is any. Any organized criminal activity in Philly, you were expected right. to pay a tax. Okay, the- so
0: the Scarfo thing, I don't think it was lip service. I don't think Scarfo ever saw a cent from right. pagans. I could be wrong.
1: Yeah, because the the pagans said we never paid shit. Right.
0: But like- but fast forward ten years into the nineties, I do believe that the Philly pagans of the mid to late nineties that were being run by a formidable criminal figure by the name of Stevie the Gorilla uh, Montevergine, who is now once again the president of, of the Philly uh, Pagans. At one point, Gorilla was the national president. So in the 90s, he wasn't just running the Philly chapter. He was running the whole organization. Uh, Stevie the Gorilla was a former cop um, who became a biker and was very, very close to Joey Merlino. Um, Merlino would go to his birthday parties. Uh, the gorilla would go to to mob parties, and the gorilla was paying tribute to Natalie and Merlino. Now, the gorilla got deposed, uh, got kicked out of, uh, 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 of the president post. Um, there was an internal pagan war. When Joey Merlino went to prison in 99 and, and the gorilla no longer could rely on Merlino's backing, uh, a couple of players within the Philly chapter, one, uh, his name was uh, Casual, Timmy Casual, but his last name was F- Tim Flood, but they called him Casual. I don't know why, but maybe because he dressed casual. very casually. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, Timmy Casual made an alliance with the 10th and O crew, which is an independent mob. In Philadelphia, made up of a lot of Irish guys, some Italian, some Irish. Um,
1: That's not that Greek. Those Greek guys in Philly that used to be no. No, that was a
0: Greek mob that existed for a short period of time. That was that,
1: and that was earlier. That was in the '70s and early '80s. All right, never mind.
0: Um, So this was this was an offshoot or
1: like a multi-ethnic, semi-offshoot of
0: the K and A group. The K and A group, had been the the Philly Irish mob, right? uh, But by the '90s, it was just. there was this group called 10th, the 10th and O group that hung out at 10th and Oregon. And like, it was like a, I think it was mostly Irish, but there were some Italians. Um, and they made a deal with Tim casual flood and they pushed out, uh, Stevie the gorilla. I believe they shot Stevie the gorilla, almost killed him. Um, Stevie, the gorilla was on the shelf at that point. I believe he was on the shelf for like a decade. Tim Casual Flood ends up turning. So he had replaced the gorilla as president of the Philly chapter. I'm not sure if he was national president or not, but he pushes the gorilla out, takes over, and then and then flips. Oh. When Conan the Barbarian comes out of prison, takes over the club in 17, what's one of his first moves? Comes to Philadelphia, brings the gorilla out of retirement puts him back in charge of the Philadelphia yeah, cause, chapter.
1: Because he was a pop he was popular, right? Yeah. With the rank and file.
0: So the gorilla is you know, it's two thousand twenty two. The gorilla is is running the Philadelphia Pagans. It's it's like it's nineteen ninety two all over again. Yeah.
1: And so whatever happened to that tenth and the they're still, guys around. Guys they're, still they're
0: around they're uh, allegedly they're aligned right now with Phil Narducci, who is uh But Narducci's a made guy. Phil Narducci is a He's a captain. Isn't He's he? a hitter. He's a made guy. He's re- reportedly a capo now. Uh came out of prison maybe 10 years ago. Uh was doing life on a murder beef with Uncle Joe Legambi who for was the acting boss for a long time. They were both convicted of the Frankie Flowers murder. Uh the Frankie Flowers murder ended up getting tossed out of court and Joe Legambi and Phil Narducci who had been serving murder sentences, then got the murder toss, so they were just serving racketeering sentences, which allowed them parole. So they both got out of prison. Well, Joe Gambi got out of prison in 97. Uh, Narducci had to serve another 12 or 13 years. But uh, Narducci came out and uh, has a restaurant named after his dad. Uh, Chicky Narducci. Chicky Narducci. Uh, it's called Chicks. Uh, his dad, I, this, for people that don't know, I understand it gets confusing with all the names. Uh, F- Chickie Narducci, who was Phil Narducci's dad, was a captain who was involved in a, a, a coup in the early 80s and was murdered because the coup was
1: unsuccessful. Oh, he was with um, the coup against Testa? Yeah. Or the coup against Bruno? The coup against Testa. Okay.
0: Um, so they uh, Phil Testa was blown up in a, a pipe bomb in 1980, or a, a, a nail bomb that was put yeah under his porch. Chicken man. And uh, Chicky Narducci was behind that.
1: Which the chicken man is not Chicky Narducci. Boy, this is really good. I know.
0: (laughs) So uh, Chicky Narducci (laughs) is marked for death. Nicky Scarfo takes over the family and assigns Phil Testa's son, Salvi Testa, and says, I'm giving you the green light to go kill everybody that killed your dad. And Salvi was the type of person that said, I don't want to. Farm this out, I don't want to outsource this. Yeah. I don't want to do this from a distance. Yeah. I want to get up close to the person that killed my dad, have him look me in the eye, yeah. and then kill him. Yeah. Uh, now, just to, another example of how crazy this world is that we, that we talk about and research and write about. Chicken Arducci's sons, Phil and little Frankie, who, they went, who who went by the nickname Frankie Windows, are called to a meeting. In the days after their dad died, or after their dad is murdered, and Nikki Scarfo, across the uh, table from them, they had already been, I believe they had both been made. They had their buttons. They had got their buttons early. They both got their buttons, I think, in Testa's first ceremony. Um, but he said, he's like, uh, we're, 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 either two things are going to happen here. You're going to leave this meeting, and within 48 hours, you guys are both going to be in a ditch. <laughs> Or we can just agree that this had nothing to do with you guys. This was a, a, a problem that me and my people had with your father. I'm not going to hold it against you. If you want to be part of our family, we will bring you in and, and treat you like family. If you have a problem with what I did with your dad, you can leave the, the diner now and your days are numbered. And both uh, Frankie Windows and Phil Narducci said, it's just the, this is the life we chose. We knew that you killing our dad, it, it wasn't... Personal, wasn't personal, and they slipped right underneath, uh, you know, Scarfo's umbrella and continued to uh, do Scarfo's bidding. So now Phil Narducci's out of prison now. Frankie just died a couple years ago. Um, He had a bad uh, liver. He was a big drinker. Um, But Phil Narducci came out of prison. He'll tell you that, you know, that he's uh, free and clear of that life. The federal government nailed him on a loan sharking case, uh, a year or two ago, where he was lucky he only had to do about a year um, in prison because some of the witnesses were shady. Um, but, you know, he was he was loaning out money. He physically threatened one of the debtors. Uh, I believe he threw the debtor up against the wall and said, do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? And and made made a, uh, a gesture with that. his hand about how many people he's allegedly killed. Um, he... Doesn't like Joey Merlino.
1: I was just going to say, he's, <laughs> he's one of the few high-ranking guys who's yeah. not under his spell.
0: Right. So he he kind of operates autonomously. And um, I don't know if he kicks up to Merlino or not. I've heard before that uh, he's given money to Stevie who who's Joey's right-hand and underboss, and that he's okay with Mazone and that he'll, that he'll give money to Mazone just to keep everything... Copacetic, Copacetic said, but he right. doesn't want to be giving the money to Merlino, even though he knows that Stevie's gonna sure. Um, but according to rumblings on the street, Narducci's muscle right now comes from the young kids in the 10th and Oak crew.
1: So, but now in terms of the the Pagans, they're back with Merlino. They're the Pagans are like more
0: are now aligned official, with er, the with the Scarf Bruno clan because yeah. Gorillas. Yeah. Uh, the leader again.
1: What, what's, what's, why isn't Narducci, because he's not part of that crew that grew up around Marlino? What's the, the thing? No, it's doesn't... interesting that they're the same exact age. Okay. But he just wasn't but, part but of that But Narducci
0: clique. was part of the Scarfo regime. And Merlu, Merlino was a gopher during the Scarfo regime. Right. Right. They gave Phil Narducci a button at like 23, 24. He was killing people for them at that point. Yeah. Marlino, I mean, if you believe the federal government... Uh I don't think he committed his first murder uh until he was in his late twenties, early thirties. Um, but Phil Narducci was doing work for them as like a teenager.
1: So he has a hard time he thinks he views Joey as an upstart kind of, even even though they're sixty. The no, exactly. I think they're
0: both fifty-nine. Fifty nine. They're both whatever. about to turn sixty.
1: But he probably still views Joey as like kind of an upstart then. Uh I think
0: they're Uh, You know, in the last 10 years, 11 years, a lot's been written about what's going on in in Philly with the Merlino regime that had been in place for 20 years. And then all of a sudden, all these Scarfo guys that had been in prison for 20, 30 years started to filter out um, starting in around 2010-ish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And some of those guys have just kind of walked off into the sunset and aren't doing anything. And then... Another handful of those guys wanted to get back into the life. Yeah. Um, a couple of them have come underneath Merlino, but a number of them are kind of semi-independent.
1: Yeah.
0: Narducci being one, and then the Pungitura brothers. Oh, yeah. Um, I heard that they that, that they actually make a lot of legit money uh, flipping houses um, in the real estate market, but there are kind of like two separate Scarfo factions and then a Merlino faction, and they're all underneath the same umbrella, in theory. Yeah. But in practice, they kind of all three of these factions yeah. kind of act autonomously.
1: And that and that's not that's not unusual for a, an Italian mafia family. I mean, I mean, as long as there's an acknowledgement that the person's the boss and there's some kind of kick kicking up. I think there was a predi- there was a lot of know.
0: predictions ten years ago that there would be bodies.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. It never, it never happened. No, but I'm saying, like, even in Detroit, I'm not saying it's a parallel exactly, but the Jackalonis and Toko's were always very distinct. Yes, factions. Very distinct. They, they did the, not the, do it.
0: There wasn't a ton of cross-pollination. Right,
1: it wasn't, like, a lot of social. They didn't go to yeah. each other's birthday parties and stuff. And as long as the Jackalonis recognized JT was the boss and there was some kind of, you know, kicking up, they kind, they pretty much left them
0: with each other alone. It's really interesting to note, that you just noted, and we've said about it, that Narducci and Joey Merlino are the same exact age, but they come from two separate eras in the f- in the crime family. Yeah, and they yeah. they might be contemporaries in theory, but in practice, they're not.
1: Yeah, right.
0: Um, and I know Narducci. A lot of the guys from the Scarfo era think, it's, in some ways, it's the pot calling the kettle black because the Scarfo era was was a was a cowboy regime. Oh yeah.
1: Bloodshed. So it's
0: not like yeah. it's the Bruno era guys that are c- critiquing the Merlino guys for being too audacious, yeah, or or too uh, flashy or, or or too reckless. It's the Scarfo guys that are that are saying these Merlino guys they're they're reckless, they're crazy, they're cowboys. Yeah, but. What were you guys back in the 80s? Yeah. You were more. It was worse. They were worse. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it seems to me. So, yeah. you know, I, I, yeah, that's, 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 you know, we digress a little bit. But um, we want to uh, shift and uh, give a little bit of news when it comes to uh, the outlaws and the highwaymen. So yeah. let's start just a, a quick uh, kind of feel-good piece um, from the, the world of the outlaws. Another gorilla, not a gorilla a pagan, a guerrilla outlaw. Um, during the Christmas holiday season, uh, a member of the uh, Tampa Outlaws, uh, by the name of Preston Perry, who goes by the nickname of the Guerrilla, um, organized a uh, uh, a coat drive, uh, a clothing drive, for for the homeless, um, and ended up raising thousands of dollars and giving away hundreds of uh, winter coats to the homeless in in northern Florida. Um, And uh, I just wanted to shout that out. Uh, He's actually a member of the – not Tampa, Pensacola. From Pensacola, the chapter is known as the Gulf Coast Chapter. Um, Gorilla Perry owns Gulf Coast Choppers. If you're a a fan of uh, the motorcycle – world or or uh, you're into uh purchasing motorcycles or or parts for motorcycles and you live in the pensacola area give a shout out to, uh, to gorilla perry and say go go check out gorilla uh and at his shop called uh gold coast uh gulf coast choppers but uh you'd like to see that uh you know giving back to the community i'm not going to say that uh you know the outlaws are are all upstanding members of society, but when you can find one or two that that are doing things the right way you, you want to shout them out
1: yeah i mean we i mean we some of the biker clubs over the years have been really active like in terms of civic engagement and community organizing and um you know charitable events so and you know the feds will say that it's it's cynical like they're they're doing it for p r for p r but whatever I mean to the people that they're helping, I'm sure they don't care you know. That uh, I mean you don't see you know and I'm not trying to take sides here, but you don't see the Justice Department donating codes <laughs> to, yeah. to home shelter. So, you know, that that's that's what matters.
0: So let's finish off here in Detroit and talk about Detroit's uh homegrown biker club, the Highwaymen, Uh, even though the outlaws are are probably the the name that people associate with this area nationally, because of the fact that um Harry Taco Bowman was the boss of the outlaws, uh, international boss of the outlaws from the early 80s into the 2000s or late 90s. He's from Detroit. So, you know, the, uh, the nerve center uh, of the outlaws organization for a good 20 years was here in downtown Detroit, uh, east side of Detroit. So a lot of people across the country just associate um, the outlaws uh, as being the biggest biker group in Detroit, and that's not true in terms of numbers. The biggest biker group in Detroit is the Highwaymen. Um, The Highwaymen has a a smaller or lesser national brand, but locally, um, the Highwaymen are a really, really big deal. Uh, They don't like the Outlaws. (laughs) They're rivals. Um, But uh, the Highwaymen were founded here in Detroit in the 1950s. The Outlaws, as I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, was founded out of Chicago, uh, but Chicago and Detroit have always been known as, like, you know, home base for the, for for the outlaw group. But uh, the Highwaymen um, have a um, you know smaller membership numbers across the country, but locally, uh, the Highwaymen really uh, control a lot of the narrative for uh, Detroit outlaw biker activity. So they were in the news a couple of weeks ago because they're in danger of losing their clubhouse. Um, known as the Mothership. Uh, the Highwaymen, uh, again, they have, uh, I believe they have five or six chapters uh, in Michigan, um, as well as chapters, I believe, in 10 to 12 or 13. Is it part of like a real estate Other dispute? states. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to get into it right okay. now. Um, but, so they have so about a half dozen chapters in Michigan. Uh, I believe they have three in Detroit. Um. And then, you know, ten to fifteen other states with chapters, uh, mostly in the Midwest and Southeast. And uh, but the the club was founded in Southwest Detroit on Michigan Avenue, um, back in nineteen somewhere in the late nineteen fifties uh, by a guy by the name of Max Burns. And uh, just like a lot of clubs, you know the the first the first club, uh, the first, you know. Uh, chapter to plant a flag is a lot of times considered the mothership. Yeah. So this is the mothership of the highwaymen, um, group organization. And, uh, it's a three building structure. Uh, so it's like three buildings put together act as their headquarters. Now, according to recent court filings in Wayne County, which is where uh, the city of Detroit is two of those buildings belong to the pagans. Sorry, God, two of those buildings belong to the highwaymen. Right. Um, The two buildings that are on the edges. The middle building um, does not belong to the highwaymen, and according to these court filings, the highwaymen have been squatting there for the last decade. And uh, for the last five or six years, the owner has been attempting to evict them Good luck. And they have
1: told the, the... I'm glad I don't have to. they have told the owner to,
0: to pound sand. Uh, his name is... Uh, his name is Milton Hall. I don't envy that guy. He's a real estate developer. He has property in Michigan, Nevada, California, and Colorado. He purchased the building on Michigan Avenue in 2007 for $2,000, so a very cheap real estate sale. Um, And he's been trying to evict the highwayman since 2016. Uh, The highwayman attorney, a guy by the name of uh, Brian Kelly, claims it is a mistake at the Register of Deeds, that this is a clerical error, and that uh, Mr. Hall does not own that property, that the pagans own the deed for that property. God, I'm, I keep I'm, on saying pagans,
1: not the high women, right? But and by the way, not to bore people with like Detroit stuff if you're not a local person here, but this is very common, by the way, with real estate. I mean, Detroit, n- n- nothing Detroit. to do with organized crime, but yeah. just in Detroit, the the um, because of deindustrialization and the the great population decline, there's all sorts of the thousands barren of landscape. properties, yeah, just properties that are sitting is unclear there. Clear who yeah. exactly who exactly owns those, and properties. and the
0: state's like offering people to come in and you know. Buy this property for five hundred dollars. We won't. We they want to give this prop all this property away and have right. people do something with it.
1: Right. No, one hundred percent.
0: So, you know that's interesting. I, I want to point out that this is actually the second Highwomen mothership. The first mothership burned to the ground in an arson back in nineteen ninety nine, and if you believe um certain people and if you believe certain informants that uh whose stories have made its way into um federal documents uh the initial or the original mothership was burned to the ground to cover up a murder that took place uh on the premise um it was the murder alleged murder of a prospect by the name of uh Juan Butler who went by the nickname Runaway um, and <laughs> the 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 informants have told uh, the FBI, the DA, the ATF that uh, they murdered Runaway uh at the club. they tossed runaway's body in the they Detroit. Thought,
1: they thought he was talking or something. I'm was not
0: it? sure exactly. yeah, okay. uh, they tossed runaway's body in the Detroit River, and then they burned the clubhouse to the, uh, to the ground to uh cover up uh, any evidence. And one of the people that was named as participating in this murder is the godfather of the pagan. It's the The, third time I've said pagans. I'm going (laughs) to shoot myself. Is the godfather of the highwayman, Leonard Big Daddy Moore, uh, who was doing what amounted to a life sentence in prison for a racketeering conviction. But was let out early during the uh, COVID outbreak, and has been home now for over a year. Um, he is a suspect in that uh, Juan Butler murder and club clubhouse arson.
1: So, do the Highwaymen have? I, I don't. I don't. I know they're local, but I actually don't know very much about them. Do, do they have a presence outside of Michigan? Did you? Say? Yeah, I think I've said that a couple of times
0: on this. On this. Uh, okay.
1: Okay. They have like I think ten to twelve. Okay. Sorry. States. Oh, wow, I didn't realize. Okay. And 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 they don't get along with the outlaws, you said? They're rivals with the outlaws, yeah. And um, so do the highwaymen have any sort of overtures to the Hells Angels, or they just don't interact probably? No, the, high, the outlaws hate the Hells Angels. No, I know the highwaymen. No, the, highwaymen, the no, highwaymen don't like the Hells Angels so, either. Some, sometimes the, yeah, the groups right. that don't like the outlaws... I thought they did. I thought the mean? highwaymen
0: had some affiliations with the Hells right, Angels, I mean. and I found out they didn't.
1: Because the whole enemy of the... My yeah, enemy, enemy is my yeah. friend. Um and and so, the, the Highwaymen, what about the Devil's Disciples? Are they still around in Detroit at all?
0: Yeah. So that the a, Devil's that Disciples is probably the third. So, if you were to uh, rank the Detroit biker gangs in terms of prominence and power, uh, Outlaws and Highwaymen are probably 1A and 1B. Yeah. Numbers-wise, the Highwaymen have more numbers than the Outlaws do in Michigan. Um, and then Devil's Disciples is probably the third, and then Vigilantes is probably the
1: fourth. They've been around for a long time. Yeah, and
0: then you got, uh, you know, um, uh, Freedom Riders and Renegades and uh, uh, Iron Coffins that are yeah. other groups around here that are have some level of yeah. stature. But it it really would go uh, Highwaymen, Outlaws, Devil's Disciples, Vigilantes. And um, But the Devil's Disciples, uh, just like the Highwaymen, uh, there was a really, really big racketeering bust that took down a huge portion of of their leadership.
1: Right. So, did the highwaymen? Because we know that the outlaws had some connections to the Toco's a really family. Yeah, the highwaymen. A uh, guy by the name Ta- of Junior. Taco Bowman. Yeah, and ju- and some, and just like the pagans, there was an ebb and Sometimes they did. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes there was tension. But so the, the highwaymen
0: had an alliance with the Italians through a guy by the name of Gary Ball. Who went by junior? So junior ball was the highwayman's contact with the Italians. Um, junior ball is in the process of doing a 30-year or so sentence from that racketeering bust a couple of years ago. Um, and then they also over the years have had alliances in southwest Detroit with the Latin counts. Um, and Scarface Tony Veramontez, who is Reportedly, or arguably, the number one Hispanic organized crime figure in Detroit. So, who? He came from Chicago in the late '80s. Just he just got out of prison a couple, a year or two ago. He served like ten or twelve years. The um, highway. So who? Who was but Scarf? But Scarface Veramontes was working very closely with the highway.
1: So who? Who on the Italians would have been the contact for Frankie the, the Bomb? Oh, he was the kind of I met. I met Junior Ball. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so the bomb was. He like he he got on the bus. The bomb got on everybody. High, okay. Yeah. At the at the bombs, Frankie, Frankie the bomb bomberito. Frankie the bomb bomberito. Was was Who was it. a captain
0: and the acting? Tocos he was an acting captain for Billy Jackaloni. Yeah. He was Billy Jackaloni's right hand man. Uh, you know, a suspect in a number of murders. Um, ran that whole northwest or sorry northeast Detroit. South warren area uh around eight and uh where there weren't and there isn't a lot of white or Italian people no. left
1: no. and Frankie Not the, for a long time and
0: Frankie the bomb you know it was, it was he holding it fit down, down. <laughs> fit, fit like a glove down there <laughs> but uh yeah, I got to meet uh, junior ball through frankie uh and I would say frank Frank was the only person um who could host multiple luminaries from multiple biker groups where they, just because it was Frank's party, they put their differences aside. Oh, yeah, right. right. So at Frank's birthday party every year, uh, you'd have representatives from all the different clubs, and they would never be in the same room. Otherwise. and and any other circumstances. Yeah. Without, you know, tables flying. Right. Uh, And then what was also really interesting was um, RIP the Bomb, who I, I just have such you know he wasn't a, he was a great person to me he 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 wasn't i wouldn't say he was a great person to the world <laughs> he was a great person to me um he treated me like a son uh and uh never once tried to to stick his hand in my pocket uh we worked or, out- to,
1: or tell you what the right or like
0: censor your yeah. reporting and uh i i'm lucky i got to get close to him in the last let's say uh 5 6 years of his life and um just a wealth of information and a walking history book and someone who, who left, who lived his life so unapologetically. Um, and he was someone that, you know, was an outlier most Italians. Don't want to have anything to do with bikers or blacks or Hispanics um and, and Frankie was really equal
1: opportunity. Well that's what I was going to ask you. At some of his birthday parties it wasn't like a you not only would you have the bikers but they'd yeah. have like you'd have like black gangs here, right, so, <laughs> so he was in, he wasn't was like just, a United Nations Right, stuff. he wasn't just in
0: charge of the relations. <laughs> he was a liaison for the Detroit crime family to the bikers, but he was also a liaison yeah. for the Detroit family to the to the black gangs.
1: Right. So that you'd you'd see all these different yeah. kinds of people that would otherwise never be yes. in the same room. <laughs> You know, at the end of his life he had a bo- he
0: had one of his bodyguards was a a a black guy that was a fu- a boxer. Yeah. Be driving Frank around. Yeah. <laughs> and then just be like this is something out of a, you know, uh, some strange fiction that that you would cre- that you had written in, in, you know in your basement and it and it becomes
1: it, it's it comes to life off the page. No, his his um his cousin came to one of my uh book signings and she said, you, do "You know Frank?" I said, "Well, I don't know. I know of him. I never I've never met him, but and she's like, you know, he just says fuck. Every My other word he says Every fuck. other word out of his mouth is <laughs> motherfucker. And I was like, fuck. that that from what I understand, that sounds about <laughs> that sounds about right.
0: So uh <laughs> at his funeral, I want to say it was 2017 or 18, maybe 18, at his funeral in Warren, <laughs> I I pulled into the parking lot, and the parking lot was divided. So you had four corners of the parking lot In one corner you had outlaws and one corner you had vigilantes and one corner you had high women and in one corner you had DDs, devil's disciples. Wow. And they would take turns. They like coordinated it where they would take turns going inside. Oh, so they didn't have to bump into each other. So like the presidents (laughs) would be going around to the other presidents to like
1: arrange a timeline. How fun. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And, and uh, by the way, at that point, I mean, were there any Italians there? Because Jackie had fallen yeah, out with him at the very end, right? Right. Uh,
0: there were guys from his crew, you know, his, sure. his loyalists. Right. Um, I was there for about, I you don't know, half hour, 45 did minutes. Did Jackie go? I don't know if he went. When I went there, I, see. Right. I went there for about 45 minutes. Yeah. I didn't see Jackie or right. Pete Tocco or right. any of those guys. Um, I would guess Jackie did not go. I would also have no problem saying on air that, Part of the reason that Frank the Bomb let me get so close to him was a way to say "fuck you" to Jackie. Yeah, yeah. Jackie knew that I was hanging with the Bomb, and it pissed pissed Jackie off. Right. And the Bomb had a big falling out with Jackie, and I had been friendly with the Bomb before Billy Jack only died. Uh, When I say friendly, I had a couple conversations with him. Yeah. He invited me uh, to meet him at one point. Uh, but he didn't really open up to me or allow me to start really hanging around him until Billy Jackaloni died. And, and him and Jackie had a, had a big falling out.
1: Yeah. It seems like he was a a throwback, a guy like you just don't, they don't, you know, cliche. They don't make them like that. You
0: know, know, (laughs) Jackie pulled his stripes. Um, so he was demoted, uh, at the end of his life, he was no longer a captain. he was acting totally independently from what I could understand. Um, and uh, he had to sell his house. He had to downsize. They had to move from a like a nicer house to a smaller yeah. house. His wife had to go back to work. Wow. His wife was working like the checkout it's at Kroger. Lefty,
1: it's a lefty regi- it's, right. Uh, I mean, no, it, uh, it I mean, is. Um, uh, Donny, you know Al right. Pacino's.
0: Uh... You know, taking a sledgehammer to uh to right. a parking meter. Right. And um, but you know he was hustling until the day he died. You know he he'd have all these teenagers, these these like uh, tattooed. South Warren teens going around stealing stuff for him <laughs> and bringing it to him at his club. <laughs> like he, he was big into the Cadillac converter. I love the, uh, business. I think
1: of the scene in Donnie Brasco. I love it. He, he gives him a Christmas envelope with like 500 bucks. And he's and, like, by the way, can I borrow can 500, I can bucks? 500 bucks? <laughs> <laughs> this is classic.
0: But um, uh, last thing I'll say really quickly about the highwaymen and then we'll wrap up was in addition to the potential uh, eviction last year, or, or I should say, uh, in 2020, there were, or there was quite a bit of drama, um, with a, one member of the club killing a number, uh, another member of the club and then setting his house on fire and then having a, a hostage, uh, standoff with police and then eventually killing himself. Um, so the name of the highwayman was, uh, crazy Tom Curry or Thomas Curry went by the nickname crazy Tom. Uh, he murdered a highwayman by the name of greedy, uh, Ron greedy Davies. Uh, and then I guess he murdered uh, Ron Greedy, greedy Davies. And then two other people that, that greedy lived with, he then set their house on fire. Uh, a couple weeks later, the cops track him down and he, um, uh, gets uh, uh, bolts himself into a house with two hostages, and uh, threatened to kill the hostages. Eventually, he killed himself. Yeah. And uh, that was all going down around the time that uh, Big Daddy Moore was coming out of prison. And I don't know if the two had anything to do with each other. Um, well, on that cheerful note. Yeah. We'll... <laughs> But uh, so the, that's that's the update that's update, update on the high <laughs> update on the highwaymen. But Big Daddy Moore <laughs> is uh, out and about. Uh, shout out to Big Daddy Moore if he ever wants to come on the OG podcast and give us uh, straight from the horse's mouth uh, uh, from the uh, the boss of the highwayman. I'd I'd be more than willing to to
1: listen. I'd love to I'd love to hear it. And so, by the way, let me remind everyone too as we wrap up to like us on Twitter and Facebook or follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook and Instagram. I appreciate everyone's comments and and their support and um we have um we have some video content stuff in the works i know people have been asking us about that and and just for some for some context here i mean you know bernie and i we've been thinking about this for a long time and this has been in the works and i appreciate everyone's patience but scott and i also have day jobs (laughs) and so it's it that's why it hasn't just been oh just throw up some video content like you know both of us are pretty busy with our other things and so uh, we do the best we can here to give you good content every week and, and we know that you want more and we wanna we wanna put out more too. It's just a matter of us getting everything lined up and, and taking the time to do that and, and getting access to resources. But I would say on the horizon, yeah, this let people is, a, this know is that the closest I feel to yeah. like this this we're gonna, is actually
0: gonna be we're gonna have close. a YouTube presence hopefully you know by the spring, if not earlier. Yeah. Um you'll be able to find us you know, anywhere you find podcasts, audio, but then you'll also be able to have a video component, um, and we're going to have a YouTube channel, and we're, we're kind of uh, slowly chipping away, trending, trending towards that. So we'll keep you updated. Um, I'd love to say that it's going to happen tomorrow, but, uh, you know, like Jimmy said, you know, all in due time. But I'm confident that uh, by the springtime, uh, we'll be churning and burning uh, with a video component.
1: Yeah. So, anyhow, thanks for everyone for listening. I'm Jimmy Puccellato, Scott Bernstein. We're out. See you next time.